0: What a blessing it is to be at Bible Baptist this morning. Thank you for being here. And we're so blessed and privileged and honored to be here. I looked at my odometer this morning. We left uh, Los Angeles, California on uh, September the 2nd. And since September the 2nd to October the 1st, we have traveled 7,067 miles. And so we are happy to be in one place for a little while, and uh, we're excited to be here in Simpsonville, South Carolina. Thank you so much for uh, your prayers for our family and for welcoming us in today. Uh, we appreciate that so much. Nehemiah chapter 8 in your Bibles this morning. We're going to go ahead and jump right in. We look forward to getting to know you and uh, getting, you know, getting to know each other and i um, just excited about what God is doing here at Bible Baptist Church, and I'm excited about what God is going to do here at Bible Baptist Church in the days ahead, and I believe with all of my heart that bigger and better days are out in front of us, and that uh, God, if he tarries in his coming, the Lord's going to use this church to reach this community, and we're honored to be a part of it. Uh, I, I mean that. Uh, appreciate Brother Steve inviting us uh, to come be a part of it, and fetch olive branches, and pine branches, and myrtle branches, and palm branches, and "...branches of the thick trees to make booths, as it is written. So the people went forth and brought them, and made themselves booths, every one upon the roof of his house, and in, the, and in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the streets of the water gate, and the street of the gate of Ephraim. And all the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity made booths, and sat under the booths. For since the day of Jeshua the son of Nun, unto the day, unto that day had not the children of Israel done so." And there was very great gladness. Also day by day, from the first day into the last day, he read in the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according unto the manner. Would you go to the Lord and pray with me this morning? God, we thank you so much for the great service that we've been privileged to be a part of today. Thank you for the wonderful music that pointed us to your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we rejoice in our savior this morning. All I have is Christ. All we have is Christ, and we rejoice in our risen Savior this morning. We thank you for the salvation that you have provided through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection. We thank you so much for the peace that we have with you today, that we can come boldly into your presence, uh, that we can obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. We thank you for this opportunity we have to gather and to hear the word of God preached to us. I pray that as we open your word, Father, that you would open our hearts to the preaching of your word. May your spirit have liberty to work in every heart. I pray for those who are saved, that they would be encouraged and revived this morning. I pray for those who are lost, that they would be saved. And Lord, we pray you would receive all the honor, all the praise, and all the glory. For we pray in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. Well, the first five words of verse number 13... Really demand a knowledge of the context. Look at those words, if you would, in verse number 13. It says, And on the second day. Well, I think that begs a question, what happened on the first day? Well, verses 1 through 12 really tell us the story of what happened on the first day. And what we find in verses 1 through 12 is a national revival taking place. If you know the story of the context of the book of Nehemiah, it tells the the story of how the nation of Israel that spent 70 plus years in Babylonian and Assyrian captivity, how they returned to their homeland, being delivered from uh, the Assyrian empire there. They were allowed to go back into Jerusalem, and a man by the name of Ezra leads the people of God to reestablish the place of worship, the temple of God, and then um, the place we read this morning, Nehemiah, this great leader, leads the nation of Israel to rebuild the wall and to, uh, to go back into that place of worship. And now their dignity has been restored. Their security has been restored. And the Bible says in chapter 7 and verses, uh, verse 73 that the people were in their cities. In other words, normal life has come back to Israel. Then in chapter 8, in verse number 1, the, people, the Bible says the people gathered themselves together to hear the word of God read. And listen to this, verse number, uh, verse number 3 tells us that they listened to the word of God being read for six hours. And so I'm going to bring a six-hour message this morning. No, I'm not. Don't get nervous. Please don't leave. Lock the doors. Don't let them leave, all right? Uh, Just kidding. But the Bible says from morning to midday, they heard the word of God preached for six hours. The Bible says that they read the word of God and the leaders, verse number eight, the Bible says the leaders helped them understand the word of God. And an amazing revival breaks out in the nation of Israel. In fact, look at verse number nine. We see three marks of this revival just by way of introduction. The Bible says in verse number nine that all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. We see repentance in this revival. Then we see serving in verse number 10. The Bible says, then he said unto them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. Repentance, service, and then we see worship or celebration in verse number 10. Where the Bible says, for this day is holy unto the Lord, neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so the Levites stilled all the people saying, hold your peace, for this day is holy, neither be ye grieved. And all the people, verse 12, went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth, because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. I'm talking about a great revival on day one of this Feast of Tabernacles where they had repentance, they had serving, and they had a restoration of worship or celebration. But the Bible says in verse number 13 of our text, now we're moving on to day number two and on the second day. And That, that phrase just jumped out at me as I was studying. What about that second day? There seems to be within us this idea that day two could never be better than day one. I mean, maybe there was a time in your life when you went through a little valley as a Christian. And if you're here and you're saved this morning, you know what I'm talking about. Um, When you first got saved, you were excited. You were on fire for God. Man, you couldn't wait to get to church. You couldn't wait to sing the songs. You couldn't wait for preacher to get up and preach the word of God. But every one of us go through those seasons where the fire of our heart begins to dim just a little bit. But maybe you've experienced that moment in your life when through the preaching of the Word of God or through a song that stirred your heart, you begin to feel the fires of revival beginning to burn within your heart once again, and you sense that need to repent of some sin in your life, and you begin looking for opportunities to serve, and you begin worshiping God again. Sometimes we have a tendency to believe that those revivals are short-lived and they can never come back into our life. But What I think we find here in Nehemiah chapter eight is that revival can continue as long as we have access to and a desire for the word of God. Notice number one in our text, the the forgotten command. I'm gonna go through this. I wanna preach a message to you this morning called build your booth. Notice number one, the forgotten command. I call this point the forgotten command because of a statement that Nehemiah makes in verse number 17. I want you to look at that with me if you would this morning. Where the Bible says that in the middle part of the verse, for since the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, unto unto that day had not the children of Israel done so. Now I know many of us are probably wondering, what is this thing that they had not done since the days of Jeshua? And we'll get to that in just a moment. But I do want you to notice that Nehemiah says that this had not been done since the days of Jeshua. It's really talking about Joshua who began leading the nation of Israel following the death of Moses, which is estimated to be around 1273 B.C. The book of Nehemiah was written in 445 B.C. And so let me just sort of translate that. Nehemiah is saying that the nation of Israel has not done this thing that we're going to look at in just a moment for 800 years. But on the second day of this national revival, the nation of Israel discovers a command that had not been obeyed in 800 years. Now, to begin the message today, and I'll get into the the nature of that command in just a moment, but I want us to notice how they discovered that command first of all, and then we'll see what the command was and how it applies to our lives. Notice letter A in verse number 13, the leaders. Verse number 13. The Bible says, And on the second day were gathered together the chief of the fathers of all the people, the priests and the Levites, unto Ezra the scribe. One commentary referred to these as the leading men of the nation. One, uh, on day one of this, feast, which is called in verse number 14, the feast of the seventh month, the Bible actually says that the people gathered themselves together to hear the word of God. And that was the day we just referred to that day of revival in the nation of Israel. But what I noticed in this section of Nehemiah chapter eight is that on the second day, the leaders of the nation of Israel gathered before the people. It seems to me that what began with the people is continued by the leadership. And I think we find in this text a valuable leadership principle, and it's this. We see that effective, intentional leadership in the nation of Israel led the people to experience a great revival. Now, if you were to rewind 70 plus years to when the nation of Israel went into Babylonian and Assyrian captivity, what you would find is that 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 captivity was brought about by a breakdown or a failure of the leadership that led to this national rebellion. But in Nehemiah, we find that the opposite is true. In this book of the Bible, what we find is that leaders, the leadership of the nation of Israel became a wonderful example that effectively began leading this nation to Repent and live in obedience to God's word, to begin serving others, and to begin living their lives for the glory of God. Now, I want you to notice in our text, this is pretty interesting, the the different categories of leadership that are mentioned in verse number 13. Notice he mentions that the scribe was gathered together. Uh, We could liken the scribe to our contemporary commentators or theologians, people who help us develop a deeper understanding of the scriptures. One commentator said that scribes in ancient Israel. Were learned men whose business was to study the law, to transcribe it, and to write commentaries on it. The scribes' original aim was to know and preserve the law and encourage others to keep it. So you have these commentators or these theologians that are gathered together on that day. And then you'll notice in verse 13 it says that the priest and the Levites. Uh, who were these? These were the, the descendants of Levi. These were the sons of, of Gershon and Kohath and Merari, who had been given charge over the temple responsibilities. They were in charge of the daily offerings and the sacrifices. But more than that, really, the priests and the Levites were the spiritual leaders in the nation of Israel. And then notice what else it says in verse number uh, in verse num, in verse number uh, thirteen. It says that there were the fathers. And this, is, this means the head or the founder of a household. And I really love this. Because these leaders that gathered together, yes, there were spiritual leaders, there were theologians, there were commentators, there were uh, preachers, if you will, the the priests and the Levites, but then we just see the fathers. These were not the people who were necessarily full-time spiritual leaders that had gathered, but these were the men who were the heads of their household. And these are the people who assembled together on that second day. And I just want to say this morning that revival comes in our churches, in our homes, and in our nation when we exert the leadership that God has granted to us. But you know what? Revival tarries in our churches. Revival tarries in our homes and in our nation as we fail to exert the leadership that God has granted to us. By the way, maybe you're here this morning and you say, Well, Zach, I'm not a leader. But listen, leadership is influence. And every one of us have a certain measure of influence over other people in our life. And the Bible says that these leaders gathered together on this second day. And I want you to notice letter B, their longing. Why did these leaders come together on this second day? Did they come together to discuss leadership philosophy? No. Did they come together to hear a TED talk on how to be a better leader? No. Look what the Bible says. They gathered together, verse 13, even to understand the words of the law. Think of it this way. The leadership of the nation of Israel, the, the scribes and, and the Levites and the priests and the fathers They willingly came together under the authority of God's word. In other words, these leaders came together with a desire to be led. I think that's so important this morning. In fact, the Bible says they came to understand the words of the Lord. It literally means it denotes intelligent consideration. They weren't coming together primarily concerned about what the scribe had to say or what the priest had to say or what the fathers had to say. The longing of their heart, watch this, was to know what God had to say. You know what it would be helpful this morning? It would be helpful in our church. It would be helpful in our homes. It would be helpful in our nation if the leaders of each of those institutions gathered together with a longing to hear from God. Joseph Benson said this, they chose rather to confess their ignorance in order that they might be instructed. Hey, can I give you some helpful parenting advice this morning? Can I give you some helpful marriage advice this morning? Can I give you some helpful advice that will help your entire life? Man, don't wake up every day with this mentality of I've got the world by the tail and I know exactly what I'm gonna do and and I've got it all figured out. Man, these were people who came and said, man, we don't have it all figured out, but we need to hear from God. We need to know what he's leading us to do. We need to know what God is calling us and commanding us to do so that we can be obedient and and go the way. Because leaders go the way Leaders know the way and leaders show the way. And this was the longing of their heart to be led by God. And I want you to notice the first three words of verse number 14. This will help you this morning. The first three words of verse number 14 reveal their learning. And they found. That's good news right there. Here you have these leaders who get together and say, hey, man, thank God for a revival on day one. But we don't believe God's just about, God's not through yet. Uh, We believe God's still got something left to say to us. Let's get our Bibles out. Let's hear what God has to say. And they found. You know what? If you come to Scripture, listen to me this morning, if you'll come to Scripture with a longing, you'll walk away having learned something. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, 6, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. James 4 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God. Watch this. And he will draw nigh to you. Matthew Henry said, Those who diligently search the scriptures find things written therein which they have forgotten. Now, you've got to get the picture. The nation of Israel is making a comeback. The people have rebuilt the temple. The people have rebuilt the wall and now the nation's leadership is coming to God in his word with a desire to do things his way. And in doing so, they realized that for nearly 800 years, they had been neglecting a command given by God in the law. Look at it in verse number 14. That the children of Israel Should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month. Now, I want to break this down. Let me be a teacher just for a few minutes and let me try to break this down because when I first read this, I had no idea what it was talking about. But after studying it, it's fascinating. This is a reference to a festival commanded to Israel by God in Leviticus chapter 23, and I would note that so you can study it later about the Feast of the Tabernacles. The Feast of the Tabernacles was what Charles Ellicott referred to as the almost forgotten festival. Easton's Bible Dictionary describes this feast as the third of the great annual festivals of the Jews. It was celebrated immediately after the harvest in the month of Tisri, September to October on our calendar, and the celebration lasted for eight days. Now watch this part, and you'll see on the screen, I've got a picture for you so you can get a little bit of an idea of what it was like. He said, during that period, the people left their homes and lived in booths formed of the branches of trees. Uh, Blackaby said that the, the, the feast of the tabernacles was one of the three primary Jewish feasts for seven days. Watch this. The people lived in makeshift shelters to commemorate their journey from Egypt to the promised land. Now, It's believed that the nation of Israel had continued celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, but that they had not been celebrating it according to exactly what God's instruction was. But on this day, on the second day, the forgotten command was discovered and the nation of Israel, listen, decided to do things God's way. You can read about that in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 39 through 44, where God gives the specific details about what they were supposed to do during this Feast of Tabernacles and how they were supposed to build these booths. And uh, I studied it out. and Basically, that booth was intended to be a temporary shelter. It was intended to be a personal tabernacle or a tent. Easton's Bible Dictionary called it a hut made of the branches of the tree. And we'll look at the reason for all of this in a moment. But I do want us to go to verse number 15, because I think we can relate to something found in the text right here. Go with me right here. Verse number 15. We see the bizarre nature of this command. Watch it in verse 15. And that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, go forth under the mount and fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees to make booths as it is written so the clear command of God is I want you to build your booth that is the forgotten command now you have to think about how awkward this must have been for these people can we just let's let's get into the text let's get into the Bible I was listening to a guy preach this week and he said you can't just read the Bible you have to read the Bible you have to think about what it means and here you have these people this is amazing who have perfectly good houses They have perfectly good roofs on their houses and walls, and they have everything that they need. And God says, hey, when you're celebrating this Feast of Tabernacles, I want you to build your booth. Have you ever read something in the Bible and thought, that seems odd to me? Like, if I were God, I wouldn't have done it that way. Can I get a witness in here this morning, anybody at all? Hey, has God ever led you in a way in your life where you thought, Lord, this doesn't make any sense to me? Like, if if, if I was going to plan out my life, Lord, I I would do it completely different than the way you're leading me to do it. Can you guys put that picture up there for me? I I saw a picture that I thought really, it resonated with me. This is how I draw. I can draw in stick figures, and I can relate to stick figures, right? But think about this. Isn't this the way it is? Our plan is like, okay, I'll take a little bit of an incline. Like, I'll exert a little bit of effort. But God's plan, many times, is completely different than our plan. And that's exactly what we find in our text today. And so the question rises to the surface this morning. What do we do when God is clearly commanding us to do something that seems so strange to us? And here it comes number two, the faithful compliance in verses 16 and 18. The responsibility, the command of God was abundantly clear. Hey, build your booth. Now this morning, what I am not telling you is that we are a part of the nation of Israel and we have to go home and build booths and live in these booths during the Feast of the Tabernacles. That's not what we're called to do. But watch me now, we are called to live for the glory of God. The Bible says in Matthew five sixteen, hey, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. Ephesians 1, 14 says that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. I have a question for you this morning. Are you building your booth? You know what? Let me just say it like this. Are you living your life in compliance to the commands of God? Are you living your life so that others would look at your life and see something a little bit different about you? Listen, the Bible does not say that we as Christians are called to blend in. We're not supposed to be weird or strange or any of that, but the Bible does say we are to be a peculiar people. We are to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. And there ought to be something different about us. And listen, it might be the thing that's different about you, Might be tomorrow morning when you go into work, rather than having your head hanging down and a cuss word on your lips and frustration in your heart, you might walk in tomorrow with a praise on your lips and and glory in your heart saying, man, thank God for a great day at church on Sunday. Thank God people were saved and worshiping the good God, the, the God who's been so good to us. That's how we can build our booth this morning. Brother Steve, a couple of years ago, when he was out in California he told me to read a book written by Dane Ortlund, and I read that book last year. And I, I took away a quote from that book. Listen to what he said. He said, we are pieces of art designed to be beautiful and thus draw attention to our artist. We are simply made for nothing else. And are we doing that? When, when the world looks at me, there's an old song that used to go like this. When the world looks at me, what do they see? When the world looks at me, do they see Jesus? Man, when the world looks at us, they ought to see something different about us. Are you faithfully building your booth? And what I love about this passage is that the leadership of Israel didn't have a committee meeting to get everyone's opinion about the command. From what I can tell, they didn't even worry too much initially about the detailed reasons about why God wanted them to do it. This was their mentality. Watch this. God said it and we choose to obey. Look at their response in verse number 16. Look at their response. So the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths. Now we can't respond to the truth until we are confronted by the truth. And so that's first base, right? The first thing we have to do, the first thing they did is we have to seek the truth. And I just have to ask you this morning, are you seeking the truth? Do you have a time every day when, you, when the Lord is speaking into your heart and life through his word? They opened their hearts and said, Lord, speak to us. Lord, tell us which way to go. Lord, tell us what, what to do. They were seeking the Lord. But here comes the second part. Not only were they seeking the Lord, they were submitting to the Lord. Look back at our text and look at verse number seventeen. So the, uh, verse number 16. So the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booze. Look at this next two words, every one. And then Nehemiah describes the nature of their collective response. I love this. Look at verse 16, verse 17. Upon the roof of this house and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the street of the water gate and in the street of the gate of Ephraim, all of the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity made booze and sat under the booze. Are you guys getting the picture right here? Like, Day one, national revival. Day two, the leaders come together, reading the Bible, asking God to speak, and God shows them in the word, hey, one of the things I commanded you to do was build booths. And so they tell all the people, hey, God, there's a forgotten command. For 800 years, we haven't been building these booths. And the people said, hey, let's do what God's called us to do. And now, as you walk out into the streets of Jerusalem, everywhere you look, there's these booths being built. Look into the house of God. There's these booths being built. Look outside of the house of God. There's all these booths. Look down the street, and there's all these booths that have been built. Everywhere you go in Jerusalem, there are these booths. And listen to this. Every every booth was a picture of submission to God's will for their life. Stephen Olford said this. Listen, the uh, progress in the Christian life is dependent upon obedience to revealed truth. Well, I wonder if the world looks at us and sees our booths being built. What I'm talking about, do they see us living in obedience and living, uh, uh, living our lives in a way that is pleasing and glorifying to God? Let her be. Notice the reason. Really, this is found in Leviticus 23, but it's fascinating. Why, like, What was the reason? They didn't come to God and say, Okay, God, if you give me a reason, I'll obey. But what was the reason? Why did God want these people to build these booths. If you take your Bibles and go to Leviticus chapter 23, I'll show that to you very quickly and we'll be done. Leviticus chapter 23 and verse number 42. We see God giving this in the law concerning these uh, the, the booths that were to be built on this Feast of Tabernacles. Leviticus 23 and verse number 42. The Bible says, You shall dwell in booths seven days, all that are Israelites born shall dwell in booths that here's the reason why God said I want you to do it that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt I am the Lord your God these booths or these tents if you will were visible declarations of at least two truths God didn't just want these people to build these Makeshift shelters, just so people look at that and go, man, that's weird. No, God said, There's a reason, there's a purpose for which I want you to build those booths. Two reasons. Number one, to remember. I mean, while these people were living in houses now, what those booths did, they were declaring that, hey, we remember there was a day when we had our our fathers were living in tents in the wilderness. There was a day when our, our forefathers weren't living in the promised land. There was a day when they were wandering in the wilderness, living in these tents in the wilderness. And while we're living in the promised land now, there was a day when we used to be in Egyptian captivity. There was a time when we wandered in 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 in, in, uh, in the wilderness for 40 years they were intended to remember but here's the last thing number 2 they were built to cause rejoicing in the faithfulness of jehovah did you notice that at the end he said i am the lord your god in other words these booths every single one of them was a declaration to the world to the people around them hey y'all we have failed But God is faithful. And you know what? I hope you're getting the point this morning. It wouldn't hurt for Christians to build some booths this week. Hey, Christian, do you remember where you used to be? Do you remember who you were before God saved you? Do you remember who you were before God delivered you? Hey, build a booth this week and give God some praise for his salvation. Give God some praise for his deliverance that is in your life. I grew up in Union Grove, North Carolina, about two and a half, three hours from here. And I can remember a lady would get up and so every so often she would sing the lyrics to this song called Give Him the Glory. And this is what it said. Do you remember when you were drowning in the sea of sin? Going down for the last time. When you called upon his name and he reached down his nail scarred hand and he lifted you out. And listen to this part. So remember where you were back then and thank him for where you are now. I wonder if the reason why we don't rejoice is because we don't remember. I mean, I think if we walked in here and remembered who we used to be, if we walked in here on Sunday morning and we just remembered in our hearts, man, I, I was a hellbound sinner who didn't deserve uh, God's, uh, who deserved God's justice, who didn't deserve God's grace, but by His mercy and by His grace, He extended His hand and He reached way down and He saved me. Oh, we see their reason, but then we see last of all. Notice this in verse 17, their revival in verse 17. I love verse 17. started with the leaders back in 13, remember? But look at verse 17. And all the congregation of them that were come again out of captivity made booths and sat under the booths. Look at the last verse, verse 17 at the end. And there was very great gladness. Not just gladness. Not even just great gladness. But Nehemiah says there was very great gladness. And can I just tell you this morning, that if you'll comply with the commands of God, if you'll remember who you used to be and re- rejoice in the faithfulness of a good God, hey, that's when revival will come into our hearts. And by the way, I think the best example of what we're talking about this morning is found in Luke chapter 22 in verse number 41 through 42. In fact, why don't we turn there and we'll end our message right here. Luke chapter 22 in verse number 41, Jesus is coming to the cross. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's there with his disciples. The Bible says in Luke 22 and verse number 41, and he was withdrawn, Jesus was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and he kneeled down and he prayed. Watch verse number 42, Luke twenty-two, forty-two, 42, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Watch Jesus build a booth right here. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done hey, this week, I wonder if we could follow in the footsteps of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and say, Lord, it doesn't all make sense to me. Like, you're calling me into something that I never could have imagined, but Lord, while it doesn't make sense, I'm just going to comply with your command. I'm going to remember who you've been. I'm going to remember who I've been, and I'm going to rejoice in the fact that while I've failed, you have been faithful. Let's bow